Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club Podcast, where every month we pick a new topic to explore, and this month we're talking about blockbusters. Big 70s blockbusters. And not just that, summer blockbusters. Summer block. The only time you can really get good blockbusters is in the summer. And oh, how we miss blockbusters. Ah, I know, that we're not just Marvel films. No, I miss going in, smelling the popcorn. We can do that now. It's not. It's not Corona it, times anymore. It's not the same, though. It's not the same. It is. It is a little bit different. I mean, the fact that my blockbuster is now the habit. I still feel it every time I walk oh, in that ta- building. Oh, you're talking about blockbuster the chain. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Wait, what blockbuster are you talking? I thought talking you were talking about, about like the, like blockbuster movies. You no, know, I'm like talking, at the movie theater. No, I'm talking about the store. The store. Yeah. Jesus Christ! I'm, I'm, when was the last time I was in a block? I think I think Bush was still in the White House the last time I was in a blockbuster video. Well, I mean, the last time you were in a blockbuster was at My The Habit. Mm. And every time I walk in, it, just, it doesn't feel right. I feel like I should be walking out of there with a stack of VHS tapes. I mean, I, I ain't gonna lie to you. They, they were moved into uh, DVDs by the time I was uh, leaving Blockbuster for the last time. Didn't you get banned from a Blockbuster? Oh, yes. Yes, I did. I was banned from a Blockbuster because I was a small child and I threw a massive tantrum. And uh, I was banned because they didn't have Tremors 2. Ah. I was a I was a very young boy at the time, and, uh, you know, regrets were, ma- were had. But yeah, so well, you're we're not... not talking about that blockbuster at all. No, we're talking about blockbuster movies from the 70s, and we're going to start with the first blockbuster movie to actually kick off this trend. Yes. And Dean will give his rant about what he truly thinks the first summer blockbuster is. Well, yes, because this is um, actually wrong, uh, because it is not this movie. This movie being? This movie being Jaws, 1975. Directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Roy Scheider, Richard Dreyfuss, Robert Shaw, and Bruce the Shark. Exactly. Uh, The real star. The real star. It's probably one of the most iconic uh, films from the late 70s. Or or the mid-70s, yeah. Most iconic summer movies. It'd probably be in the top ten of those. Probably top ten, like horror movies but mm-hmm. that's gonna get into like a weird we're gonna get into like a weird conversation about that in a minute yeah because it's kind of hitchcockian horror which isn't really like horror in the traditional sense it's more it's a, suspense it's a, thriller it's a thriller at its heart there's it's weird but there's a lot of carnage in the movie so i guess that's pushes well, it towards the horror aspect yeah but the real the only real horrifying part is like way at the end at least for me but um, the real first blockbuster is an actual horror film. It's called The Exorcist. Everybody do your research. The Exorcist would be considered one of the most financially successful films of all time. I think it would have it would be considered a major like blockbuster hit adjusted for inflation. But it doesn't have the release style that Jaws has. Where it released in 409 theaters, made $7 million its first opening weekend. Yeah, J- uh, Jaws made a shit ton of money. Our the parents Exorcist went to go out, see it opening weekend. Probably, but yeah, Jaws released everywhere, and The Exorcist released, like, place by place. Yeah. So that's why, you know, The Exorcist doesn't get counted, Jaws does. Yeah, no one fact-checked me on that. I'm only speaking, like, half out of my ass. I'm pretty sure I'm right, but just just take that as fact. Can I help you get down from your soapbox now? Please. Okay. 
There, oh, there okay, you go. There you're good. Go. Yeah. Oh, I was, I was getting a little, little high up there. Ooh, I know you're, you're a little afraid of heights. I know. Uh, I know. I know. But Jaws. Yes. So, yeah, this is again one of the most iconic films of the seventies. One of the most iconic films of all time. A true feat in feature uh, in filmmaking. Yeah, this movie. It's on the AFI Top 100 Films of All Time. Uh, it's in the National Film Registry. Yeah. It spawned three horrible sequels. Yeah, it, it also came up with new technology for filmmaking. Yeah, yeah. It was, um, it was the animatronics, right, for Bruce? It was the animatronics, and it was a lot of the stuff for the cameras. Oh, because they were trying to shoot, like, underwater, right? Not only shooting underwater, but also shooting halfway submerged in the water, so you get that uh, that aspect of being in the water, so you see a little bit of the water, and then you see the land on top. So. Yeah, because cameras had to be special, built for mm-hmm. in water and out of water, and, like, finding that middle ground, especially back in the 70s, yeah. is probably a pain in the ass. And the fact that most of this film, or maybe entire the entirety of the film, was shot handheld. Yeah. Was something else, too. I I don't think the whole film was, because there's some shots where they they have to be on a on a track. But the uh, the cinematographer really wanted to do more handheld than mm-hmm. being on a track or being on a, a tripod. You know, that, that's something I want to talk about. Okay. How this movie looks Beautiful. and how it's shot. Because, yeah, no, there's a lot of really great imagery here, you know, just, again, sunset on a massive ocean. Yeah, the... It's going to be pretty. But how it's shot, because I never realized how long some of the shots in this film are. Yeah. And Spielberg it does this thing where, you, you know, oh, they're having a dialogue, and it just kind of goes for, like, almost, like, a, two minutes, three minutes before there's a cut. And mm-hmm. usually it's an insert of, you know, oh, somebody, Roy Scheider picks up something and looks at it, and it's an insert of the thing he's holding, and then it just goes back to the same shot we had before, and they just finish their their dialogue. Yeah. That's a really, like, old-school studio thing, where you just do this one long master, and you just punch in sometimes. Yeah. I think it, that's why the film feels so, like, Hitchcocky and thrillery, because it feels like that old-school, like, suspense drama thing going on. Yeah. And it's also just beautiful to look at. I mean, yeah, it's a pretty movie. It it ain't like Stalker, but yeah, no, it's a pretty movie. You and Stalker, my oh, God. you gotta watch Stalker. It's a beautiful. Dean movie. brings up Stalker so much because it's a great film. Tarkovsky's a master. He's a poet. You know, come on. Hey, we could have talked about this almost two years ago, but you opted not to have it as one of the first episodes for the podcast. I chose a racer head instead, and I hold by that stance. But I guess. the whole thing is, Jaws, at least to me, is like an A movie. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like really solid across the board. There's nothing really wrong with it. I think every piece of the movie functions really, really well. Mm-hmm. But what makes this movie so memorable for me and really makes this movie like stand out as, oh no, this is why this movie is, is amazing, why people come back to it is Robert Shaw as Quint the shark hunter. Mm-hmm. He is he is just Quint. He's not he's not an actor playing somebody else. Like Roy Scheider is playing, you know, Martin mm-hmm. Brody, but he's, you know, playing a Roy Scheider type. He kind of acts like he did in the French Connection or like Richard Dreyfuss is just being Richard Dreyfuss yeah. just on the water. Mm-hmm. But like Robert Shaw is just that man's seen some shit. He he's he's killed sharks. He's Quint. 
he's quaint. And I think that's, at least for me, what propels this movie into, like, S-tier filmmaking, S-tier film. Okay, um, since we were talking about, you know, camera work and the look of this film, do you have a favorite scene? Not, not you know, because of the acting, but just because of the ambiance that's given to you. Oh, oh, are you talking pure, pure cinematography? Yes. Um... Okay, because my favorite scene I, I isn't know. this, but the one I think is like the most like visually compelling. It's it's probably actually the opening sequence where they're all shot in like silhouette and they're running down the beach and mm-hmm. he's like drunk and she's you know throwing off her clothes. And he's like, "Yay, we're gonna go skinny dipping, mm-hmm. yay!" But it's shot like with this really deep backlight, and you can tell it's all natural lighting. Yeah, and it's just this really pretty image of. Like, her, when she run like, jumps out into the water and swims out, and it's all moody, it's all dark. That's the first time you see Bruce's perspective from under the water, and the music kicks mm-hmm. in. And when he's, like, passed out on the ground, and, like, that beautiful sunset's in the background, and you're like, oh my god, he can't help her. Yeah. I think the opening sequence, for me, is so just, it's visually telling, and it's really, like, some pretty pretty shots are in the, in the moment. Okay, that's good. What, what, what about you? Uh, for me, it would have to be when Quint, Brody, and Hooper are finally going to jump on the orca and they're going to go out and hunt the shark. Mm-hmm. But we're seeing the perspective from inside of Quint's shop. Yeah. So we're watching the orca take off through the jaws of the shark that's in the window on display. The, the nice foretelling. The yeah. foretelling and just, it seems very peaceful seeing them float away off into the ocean, but you know that all hell is about to break loose. Mm. It's it- just... It's a great setup. It's a great setup. It, it foreshadows what's going to happen to them, but it's just a beautiful shot. Oh, yeah. Did, <laughs> did you, you just really wanted to talk about that pretty shot, didn't you? I did, but I mean, there's a lot of shots in this movie where it's just, it kind of reminds me of um, Shoreline Village in Long Beach, mm-hmm. where you kind of get that, you know, like small knit community feeling. Yeah. And we get that in this movie where uh, Amity is basically another character in the movie. Yeah. Also, I have a question because I've never read the book. Um, you you have, right? I haven't read the book, but you know a lot about like the actual story, right? Or the yeah. plot. Okay. Because is the mayor supposed to be like in trouble, or is he supposed to be a like like evil or what? Because in the movie, he just comes off as kind of like kind of like a prick. Well, from what I've learned about the book apparently all the characters in the book are kind of terrible. They're just, uh, like, horrible people. Oh, really? Yeah, and even the, the way the deaths are, the deaths are very different. It's more gruesome. And even the way that Bruce dies in the end is very, very different. So I'm not too sure if the mayor is the same, but Spielberg really rewrote it where you could actually connect to the characters that we see on, okay. in the film. Yeah, because that's a big thing with Spielberg, and I think that's a big thing that shows up in a lot of his work, is he's really big on, like, families, and he's really big on kind of softening the edges of these of these kind of main characters. It's all about, you know, like, a human connection. Mm-hmm. Because I guess in the book, Hooper and Brody are at each, other, at each other's throats the oh, really? entire time, versus in the movie where they're very kind of, like, friends. They're friends they, really they fast. They open as just buddies yeah and it's like you know they have their moments where they kind of jab each other and like why are you doing that and no do it this way but they're still friends Uh versus hooper and quint where they're you know ready to kill each other every second which is actually real to 
who they are in per, in real life. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. They couldn't stand each other. Really? They were constantly fighting, and Spielberg was kind of like, you know what? This is going to make for... Some good drama. For good drama on film. So they kind of incorporated that into the film. So it was very much real, the animosity that the two of them had towards each other. Okay. Because I heard... Cause I don't know a lot about the making of Jaws. I know a little bit. I've seen a featurette once upon a time while I was very, very not aware of the world. But is wasn't Robert Shaw, like, blotto the entire shooting? Yeah. <clears throat> that was a, a big issue because Richard Dreyfus was like, okay, he's drunk. And then he was taking shots at... At Richard Dreyfus, you know, about his weight and his appearance. And it was just, you know, these constant jabs. And him being drunk most of the time didn't help. So, yeah, they were just not happy to be around each other. And then having the shoot go from uh, 55 days to over 150 days. Which just, is ungodly. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, you know, that fire is only going to burn brighter between two people that just can't stand each other. Yeah. And, and also, um, like hundred, like a hundred plus day shoots. Like most movies, I think are shot over like two months at most, mm -hmm. like 55, 60 days. Like that, that's a pretty deep, like healthy, like pr like shooting time. And then there's always, you know, a call for possible reshoots for some scenes. Yeah, but over a hundred and fifty days is just brutal. Yeah, it's just continuous shooting, and a lot of that was just because. I mean, everything broke, everybody it, the, the got shark. hurt, or everybody almost died. A lot of people were seasick. It was just a lot of, most of it was the shark. Because uh, trying to have an animatronic in salt water just doesn't work. Yeah, and I, didn't they lose Bruce in the ocean a couple times where he just sunk? One of the prop sharks did sink to the bottom of the ocean, and then they had to go and retrieve it. <laughs> so it's like, they're like, yeah, we can't just... Well, he sank. We're just going to leave him there in place. It's like, well, no, we got to get him and dry him off and get him <laughs> working again. the only one we got. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Bruce caused a lot of problems, which delayed, you know, a lot of the shooting. Um, I, I saw, or I didn't see it. I read somewhere where they went into one of the shops where they were working on Bruce. And it was like Martin Scorsese, Spielberg, uh, George Lucas, and there was someone else. Probably Brian De Palma. They ran. They all ran together. Yeah, they had a, a pretty big circle of phenomenal people. And it was yeah. just like, so you know, Spielberg takes them into the shop to show them the sharks. And I don't know if George Lucas did this or Spielberg suggested it. And he's like, hey, you know, why don't you put your head in the shark's mouth? So George Lucas does it. And then Spielberg, you know, has the gears, and they close the jaws on Shark on George Lucas's head. Uh, and then they couldn't unhinge it. So he almost killed George Lucas yeah, before so, he made Star Wars. So he's, you know, there with his head stuck. And him and Martin Scorsese are able to, you know, pry it back so they get out. And then the men run out of the shop because they're like, oh my god, we broke the shark. We don't want to get in trouble, so we got to get out of here. And I was just like, these are, you know, world-renowned directors who have you know, come up with to, the most amazing films. To make a point, when certain men get together, their IQ drops exponentially. Yeah, that was one of those moments. 
It a- happens. Also funnier than hell. To oh, just yeah. picture that, you know, George we're, Lucas, we're, you know. Uh, Steven Spielberg almost killed George Lucas and we just never get Star Wars. But I mean, isn't that, you know, like you and your friends? You've almost killed e- each other a bunch of times? I mean, not on purpose. It sounds to me like Spielberg was angry at somebody. And he's like, this is what we call plausible deniability in the film business. Or it's a bunch of guys fooling around with the animatronics and, oh, I didn't think that would happen. Okay, let's get out of here. Yeah, sure, sure. But yeah, so Jaws. But, yes, Jaws. Lots of lots of stuff went into making this film that took over 150 days. Mm-hmm. But I think totally worth it. I'll say, like, the, how well the movie did is phenomenal. It is, this is a really, really, really good movie. But, like, watching it now, it's it's a weird watch now. Why? A lot of movies have been influenced by Jaws since. Yeah. So, it, watching it now, I'm like, oh, I've seen everything this movie has inspired. Mm-hmm. But it's also a little bit of a of a um, pastiche because it's influenced by a lot of stuff that came before it. Yeah. You know, Hitchcock's for thrillers. Um, probably old, like, pulp adventure movies. Monster flicks of the 1940s and 50s. That and um, this movie is considered to be a sequel. To, to what? To Spielberg's... I think the film's called Duel? No, it is not a sequel to no, Duel. There's no, no. One, okay. No. Name one character that comes that crosses over. No, that's not it. It's a spiritual sequel? More or less. I yeah, mean, in his I, words, he I said... don't count those. Spielberg's just trying to be fun. But, I mean, it goes with what happens in Duel. You have this, you know, scary-ass truck chasing the guy, just won't stop. Until the truck finally meets its demise. And we get that in Jaws. Have you ever seen Duel? I've seen bits and pieces of it. It's not the same as Jaws. It's not nearly as good. Well, yeah, I would assume so. But, I mean, if that's what he claims, that's what he claims. Steven, you got it, brother. You got it. I would I would love to talk to him about this. He'll give me a call. But um... And be like... Dean, um, can you look inside this, you know, the mouth of this animatronic really quick? I'm just gonna... Oh, that, see? That's his modus operandi. Mm. He has he has you stick your head in animatronics and then he gets you. I'm gonna, we're gonna find out. Steven Spielberg's a secret serial killer. And he used, and that's his thing. You know, he has giant animatronics and he gets people. Or is this, this, you know, part of your conspiracy thing where you think everyone's a serial killer? Not everyone. I think Mr. Rogers was okay, but a lot of other people. I got, I got questions. Right. But, right. um, Jaws. Yeah. What the fuck was I saying a second ago? I don't know. You say a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah, I get interrupted and I go on tangents. Oh, you poor, poor thing. A lot of the thing about watching the movie now is it's kind of hard for me to imagine somebody who's... Somebody watching this for the first time and, and just digging it. Um, because the movie's slow, right? Like, the the movie's two hours long. It's a little bit of a slow burn. I'm not saying it's, like, boring. It's just, it is getting to a point, and it's being very deliberate as it's going. It's a slow burn. Horror well, I, I mean, we, we have a kill not too long after the opening credits. And then we don't get another one until, like, 45 minutes later. Yeah. That's, that, that's the thing. It's like, oh, it opens with this, boom, kill, everybody's interested. And then it's like, and now everyone... You will wait an hour before we have another one. And then it's, you know, that's the thing. It's like in The Shining. Yeah. You know, it just opens with, oh, this is really creepy. And then it just ramps up tension for the entire duration. Yeah, and I mean, mostly this is because the sharks weren't working. So that's why we don't get too many kills, because 
animatronics weren't working, so they really had to go the Hitchcock route where... You hide everything and you, you make the audience do the work. You hide everything. You let the imagination work for you. Uh, you have Killer Music by John Williams, mm-hmm. who he credits Steven Spielberg, you know, because of this film, it really jump-started his career. Was this Williams's first movie? I think he's done other movies, but I think this might have been, like, his first feature. But Oscar, Oscar-winning feature. Because this film did win three Oscars. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. But, and um, well, including John Williams, who won for the best score. Oh, nice! And that for his first Oscar, I think so. And he was also um, conducting the orchestra at the Oscars that year, so he won. He, he got to double down. Well, he had to run up from the Oscar from the orchestra pit to go receive his award. You know, do all the stuff behind the scenes, and then go back and conduct the music for the rest of the Oscars. And I'm just like, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's neat. Yeah, but yeah, like that—that's just the thing. I think. Like, I really dig the movie, because I'm like, I saw it when I was, like, pretty young, yeah. and it's like, oh, yeah, no, I like Jaws, you know, I think um, Robert Shaw's really cool, I like Chief Brody, I like um, Richard Dreyfuss' character Hooper, because oh. he's funny, yeah. you know, as a kid, dug it. And watching it as I'm older now, I can appreciate the film, I'm like, yeah, no, I can see how this film has influenced a lot of horror films or thriller films since it. But I'm trying to put my mind into the into the place of a brand new villa a viewer, and I don't know if like people would still dig it as much. Well, I think you're forgetting. A couple of years ago, we went to go see it for the 45th anniversary. Yeah, at the Fox Fullerton and um, in Fullerton. Fullerton at the Fox Theater in yeah, Fullerton. It, Sorry, it, we saw it at Fullerton. Yes, we saw it there, and th- this is one of these old theaters that hadn't been reopened. For a very long time, I think decades. It, it yeah, it had been closed for like 40, 50 years. So, uh, thanks to a couple of friends of ours who purchased a screen for the theater, yeah, they decided to have you know their first screening in however long, and they did Jaws. So we got to go to one of those screenings, mm-hmm. and I think what was one of the coolest things there was people hadn't seen the movie before. And they reacted to the movie. They actually screamed and got scared. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of decent jump scares in the film that I think still work. Like, there's like, don't get me wrong. I think the film still works. But if I was to show like a like a 15 year old Zoomer this movie, I think they're out in the first 20 minutes. No, I don't. They're think so. on their phone. They're already searching Instagram. I don't. I don't think that work. This movie plays as well to like younger people. I don't know. I think you're underestimating the the next generation behind us. Uh, maybe I am. Maybe I am. But I don't know. I, I like the movie. I think it really works. It's just, it feels so 75 filmmaking to me. It feels so, like, much slower. We're just doing a lot more, like, dialogue, a lot more drama. It's not like, it's not like a, a blockbuster you would think of that would come out now. Like, if this movie was released now, like, they remade Jaws, and they released it now. I hope not. You give it time. No. They remake Jaws, they release it now. Is it a blockbuster? I don't think so. The remake? No. The original? Absolutely. If this got released versus, like, any of the Marvel movies, I don't think it, it, it um, plays as well. Yeah, but, I mean, people are getting tired of the Marvel movies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been, you know, I don't know how many they pump out a year. Because it's not like they skip a year. It's usually there's at least one or two that drop every year. Oh, it's I think it's more than that. I think there's like 
it's probably like four Marvel films a year plus two TV shows. I think I think that was the model for a long time. And okay, this is a tangent we're getting on. Our, but I will the, say your before, Marvel burnout. Be, before you get on your uh, tangent train, I'm gonna say I do want to go see Thor. Uh, Love and Thunder. Love and Thunder. I am so hyped for that. It, it's been a while that I've been excited for a Marvel movie, I think, since Endgame. Oh, everybody fell off at Endgame. Like, I, I'm trying to think what ha- what's been out there since Endgame. Uh, we had the Black Widow movie. No one saw that. Yeah. We had uh, Spider. We had the Spider-Man Far From Home. I th- oh, that's when I got That Rona. everyone saw. Yeah. I, I, I still haven't seen it. You still haven't seen it? I still haven't seen I've it. I've seen it twice. I, you saw it on my birthday. I, I invited you and you were sick. Well, I was dying, but, you know. Yeah, you know. I, I still bought you the ticket. I, I appreciate it, but, you know, I was kind of trying to live through the days. Yeah. But, yeah, so there's there's that one. Uh, the, uh, the I know the Doctor Strange movie came out. And that I, was a couple months ago, right? Yeah, that was a couple months ago. And I'm sure there's been, a, like, at least a few others that I'm forgetting. There's probably an Ant-Man in there or something else. No, I think Ant-Man's next year. Oh, okay. But, I would go see that in the theater because I love Ant-Man. Yeah, but, but that's the thing. I saw um, Doctor Strange. Like the only Marvel films I've seen since is the Spider-Man movie and Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. And the Spider-Man was just, you know, I heard the rumors, I heard the memes, yeah. And I'm like, no, no, no. If 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 Toby Maguire, if Sir Toby Maguire yes. appears as Spider-Man in the suit, I'm gonna be fucking there. All right, I haven't seen that shit since I was big. Okay. Since you were big. Since I was big. Since I was, <laughs> since I was, since I was a real young wee lad. Since I was a wee lad, I haven't seen that. But um. Then the other one was Doctor Strange, and that was just because Sam Raimi directed it. I couldn't give less of a shit about Doctor Strange, but Sam Raimi's making his first film in a decade? Oh yeah, I'm showing up to that. Of course. But other than that, I, I'm done. I'm so burned out on Marvel movies. Am, am I the only one? No, I am too. I mean, apart from Thor. I mean, that one is just like... Well, that's because Taki Waititi is your god. Exactly. Yes, he is. I pray to him. Thank you. More what we do in the shadows... Even our our flag means death, which you need to watch. I'm st- I'm still trying to catch up on what we do in the shadows, which I, I do like. What we do in the shadows that's actually a, a pretty funny show. Yeah, it's just weird enough, and and it's not as cringy as I thought it would be. But like I'm I'm like really digging it. It's like a it's like um, I think it's filling that spot that the office it used to fill for me mm-hmm. before I was like unable to rewatch the office anymore. It's your Parks and Rec. Yeah, that that's a better way to put it. It's kind of filling that Parks and Rec spot for me of like shows I got to watch. But um, yeah, I'm just burned out on Marvel on Marvel properties, and I'm Same. a comic book fan. I read oh, yeah, comic books every week, but I couldn't give less of a shit about a Moon Knight TV show. Yeah, I still haven't watched that. Uh, I think there's another Marvel show coming out. Uh, Miss uh, Miss Marvel is another one. Uh, I think they're doing an. I think they might be doing another Captain Marvel show or a Captain Marvel movie. There's there's a lot of them that come out, and it's it's the same thing that happens with a lot of hobbies during um when they want to make their fucking money. They pump out so much stuff that you just can't keep up with that anymore. Yeah, I mean, WandaVision was spectacular, but it's just there's so many shows, and it's like okay, I got to keep up with all of these. I still haven't even watched um Obi One yet. Yeah. I think people have finished Obi-Wan. Oh yeah, it's it's over. It's just, I haven't, you know, had a chance to jump into it. And now that it's over, I'll just watch it. It's an entirety because 
apparently it's amazing. Yeah, but man, Star Wars is Star Wars is different than um, Marvel for me because well, I. Well, that's still, another tangent. I know, I know, but yeah, you you brought in Star Wars, but Star Wars, I like Star Wars, but I like just Star Wars. Like I like a New Hope. I'm cool with Empire. I like Return. The prequels, I have, like, nostalgia love for. Because we grew up with those. Yeah, I acknowledge they're not good movies, but I'm eh, I'm kind of soft on them. I remember seeing them in the theater when I was a kid. My dad took me to them. I, I'm, it's a core memory. It's a core memory. I dig it. And, like, everything else, I am so, like, uninterested in. I think the new Star Wars trilogy, like, Force Awakens, whatever the other two yeah. are, because I don't fucking remember, because they're just that forgettable and they don't do anything for me it's like luke skywalker's gone like he he was like the franchise for me mm-hmm. like anakin for the prequels was like well he was the only like that that's the story right yeah it's like i don't care about ray i don't care about any of these other people and like the shows i know the mandalorian's supposed to be great it's amazing i know and you I just know. won't give it a chance i gave it a chance that's the thing I gave it like a college try. I it might just be my aversion to Star Wars at that you point. You just watched an episode. I watched two episodes, thank you. But One and a I, half, something like that. But I watched it, and I'm like, eh, I'm fine. I've I've seen spaghetti westerns. I've seen Star Wars. I I I'm good. I'll give it another shot. Apparently, it it is supposed to be great. I might have just not been in the right headspace. But all I, the t- all the tie in stuff, Rogue One. Uh, Han Solo. Yeah, those uh, I was going crazy for those. No one was. No one cared. I mean, there is, you know, some people that do really enjoy Rogue One and Solo, but it just didn't. Yes, really do but those for people me. like eating paint chips. So do you? Well, yeah, but paint chips are delicious. But they eat like off-brand paint chips. They're eating lead-based paint chips. But that's the thing. Like Star Wars, it's like I like Star Wars, but goddamn, I'm, I'm so past being like excited for new star wars movies like marvel i like that was a a bell curve where i grew more and more excited each movie that came out and then endgame happened and i just sunk like i i'm over the barrel on that like star wars was a plateau and then a cliff you know yes but i feel to take it back to our original argument i think that younger generations would enjoy this movie, even though you think it's a slower burn. I I think it's just it's. It, I think if it just came out today, you would think it was cute. They're like, "Where's the Where's the blood? Where's the gore? Why isn't this shark? You know, but like more gruesome. Why is this look so like weird and all this other stuff?" Yeah, but I mean, there's plenty of blood in the movie. Uh, there's some gore, but I mean, in movies that we have today, that are so loaded with blood, gore, and guts. It's kind of nice to have a switch up where you get a little taste of it. You're not just completely submerged in it. Yeah, no, I think that's probably Jaws's biggest strength is the fact that it's not in your face the full two hours. Yeah, it's not like, a, what was that movie that we did? Um, Dead End or, or... Oh, Dead Alive. Dead Alive, or, there um, you go. Yeah, it was... Uh, Dead Alive or Brain Dead, I I forget the name a thousand it, it, times. It's, it's both the Peter, titles. It's the Peter Jackson film. That one where there's just so much gore, and I was just like, wow. <laughs> but but that movie, that was the point. The point was to just overload you on blood and gore until I know. it became funny. 
but it twisted my stomach. I just, halfway through the movie, I'm like, my stomach is killing me because there's just so much of this that I can't take. And I'm one of these people where, like, Jaws, you got blood, you've got some body parts. That's good enough for me. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, if you want a movie that will turn your stomach, this is the only movie I've ever shown a friend, and that friend questioned my, my taste in film, and that was Reanimator. Oh, yeah. Have you ever seen it? I've seen pieces of it. Oh, you gotta watch the whole thing. That that movie, uh, David, uh, a friend of the podcast, mm-hmm. he straight up told me, yeah, this movie is disgusting, and I was <laughs> legitimately uncomfortable watching it, yeah. but it's a great movie. <laughs> His words. But, that sounds um, like you guys. Yeah, but with Jaws, yeah, it's not in your face, it's not gory, but I think that that is its biggest strength, is that it has a little bit of um, patience. It it's a, has a little bit more of a mature take on what it's doing, its blood score. Also, it's released in 75, and this was probably like way too much for oh, yeah, I, audiences in 75. Yeah, I was actually talking to my mom uh, last night about the movie, and because movies are big to her, and that was a big thing, she would go to Hollywood and go watch the movies in like, some of the old theaters there, and uh, she said for this movie opening weekend, she stood in line for a couple of hours to go see it, and she said, you know, right with the opening kill with Christy, or Chrissy, uh, she sat there the entire time. She said it was a ten-finger movie, so she was looking through her fingers the entire movie because it was just so horrific and not what they had for that time. And it's just like, I mean, now when you see it, it's like, oh, I could sit here and it's not going to scare me or freak me out. Oh, yeah. But, I watched it and I'm like, this isn't even a horror movie. This is just a, a drama. But to be, you know, in that time where this was so brand new... Yeah, I can see where it'd scare somebody, just like The Exorcist would have scared a bunch of people. Yeah. Because that was really one of these first movies where it was just like, oh my god, I've never seen this before. This is terrifying. Yeah, which is so weird, because I, I mean, violence had been ramping up in films yeah. at that point. I mean, like, Bonnie and Clyde, the end of Bonnie and Clyde, yeah. they get smoked. They're they, Swiss cheese. Exactly, and there's all the blood, and there's all the, mm-hmm. all the guts, and all that stuff. And I mean, like, Easy Rider, they die from, like, Ex- the getting exploded there's yeah. there's like all the films that were influenced by like vietnam uh sam peckinpah's like the wild bunch uh apocalypse dirty... now apocalypse now well apocalypse now Was i think comes 80s? out no no it's just i think it it came out just like later than jaws i think 70 oh. something because um godfather part two came out in 74 think so i'm not 100 percent sure yeah because i think godfather part one was 72 i think don't nobody quote me on yeah. that again i'm talking half out of my ass so i'm only mostly correct but um with jaws and its violence and how it approaches it i think it's a very different way that i think is really appreciated now mm-hmm. because it feels so different than what we have now because our violence just got way out of control throughout like the 80s into the 90s and just oh, ramped up absolutely until and we're I, just desensitized now because i mean now we get at least um kind of like an exorcist type of movie where someone is in need of an exorcism we get movies like that like every other year oh we uh, get them every year it's just most of them are cheap as shit and bad and it's like you know, they're not scary. They'll give you jump scares, but 
the story itself is like, okay, I the one that I could think of most recently would probably be The Conjuring. Yeah. So that one scared the shit out of me. And I watched that in broad daylight. It's the whole not seeing it. And that's what gets me. And that's a big part of Jaws and Psycho. It's what you don't see. Yeah, I think that's that's a big thing. Like, The Conjuring in terms of those, like, modern horror films. Mm-hmm. Like, I, lo- I love The Conjuring. I thought that was a really good movie. I thought that was probably my favorite horror movie of that year. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, that's a di- that's a rare one, yeah. right? Most movies are like, well, remember when we had the Saw and Hostels, like the oh, torture yeah. poem boom of like the early 2000s? It just wouldn't stop. Yeah, we had a new one like every year. I think Saw actually had a movie every year for like seven years. Didn't we just have a new Saw movie last year that tanked? Yeah, I think it was called Spiral. It was supposed to be like a, a prequel. A, it was like a prequel or like a spiritual sequel or it was another movie set in the Saw universe, something yeah. like that. Yeah, that movie, not good. It had Chris Rock in it, and yeah. you know, people should go and support Chris Rock. But, um... But, yeah, with... it, it takes, you know, kind of a special thing to make these movies that just last. And I feel yeah. like that's what we have with this movie. It could be dated, it could feel 70s, but it still scares people. Yeah, I mean, it might just be a thing where I I was just not scared. There was a part that I was, I was actually horrified at. Like, that actually, like, like straight up, kind of, kind of like fucked me oh. up. Would that be the ending? Yeah. Well, it's when it's when Quint goes goes into the <laughs> into Bruce's mouth, and I'm I'm like not about it. That's not even the scariest part for me. It's really, a, it's actually when uh, Alex Kittner dies. Oh, when he's on the raft. Oh yeah, yeah. That part, I don't know. That just really messed with me. And even now, watching it, I still get a little. Uh, a little freaked out when I see it. I don't know if it's just the movement, just seeing him, you know, being still to just kind of flailing in the air uh-huh. and just knowing there's no hope for him at all. There's something under the water no one notices. I think that's the that's the scariest part about the movie. That's like the real, like, horror aspect of it is that this shark is sneaking up on people. No one notices. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be in a full beach with a bunch of people and it just comes up, grabs you, and you're gone. Oh, and yeah. And no one notices. No. Like, the only person that notices on the whole beach is Detective Brody. Yeah. Or Chief Brody. Chief Brody, because he's the only one that's really looking out while everyone else is enjoying their time at the beach. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a scary thought, you know? Something to just come up and get you, and no one will notice, because it's just so fast. And once you're under the water, it's you're gone. Yeah, because it's not just Alex that dies in that scene. It's also the dog. Yeah. And... No one notices that the dog's missing except for his owner. Yeah, and the dog thinks, oh, the dog must have ran down the ran down beach. the beach or swim somewhere else. And it's just, you know, no one around you is really paying attention to you playing fetch with your dog. But you know that he's not there anymore. And it's just the same thing with Alex. You know, he's given an extra ten minutes to go play. Mm-hmm. But if his parents are, you know, talking to each other, looking at a magazine, they might not see him being dragged under the surface. Yeah. Which, again, that's scary. Yeah. But the part that, that freaks me out mm-hmm. um, is, is when Robert Shaw dies and he's, or Quint dies and he gets um, eaten by Bruce. And that's a thing that just is kind of paid off from his monologue a couple, I think a couple scenes before. Yeah. Where he's talking about how he was on the USS Indianapolis and you, you know about that, right? Yes. 
Yeah, it's the largest like shark um, mm-hmm. attacks in in world history. I think it's the worst um, nautical disaster in world history. Eleven hundred my... men went into the water, and only three hundred and sixteen came back out. Yeah, and it was almost kind of like I know Titanic came out, you know, years later, mm. but it's kind of like Rose when she dies after being over the surface of Titanic, and Shaw or Quint gets <laughs> eaten by the shark. It's kind of like. He skipped where he was supposed to originally die. Uh-huh. It's like Fatal Attraction, um, Final Destination. Like, you know, it came back and got him. I know. And that's the the scariest thing, because when Quint gives his, like, speech about it, you can see in his eyes, like, this has fucked him up yeah. royally. And him being eaten by the shark is literally his hell. Yeah. And I'm like... And he's screaming and he's yelling. You can see it in, in Robert Shaw's eyes because he's a great fucking actor in this. Well, and you're that, like, and he's been a badass the entire it. film. Mm-hmm. And it's this final moment where we just see he's absolutely terrified. Yeah. And it's like, no, you were supposed to be the guy that got this. And when he's freaking out, now I'm freaking out because I thought he got this and he don't got this. And then, you know, you know, little Dean has, has nightmares. And Quint, uh, he also dies in the book. Mm-hmm. But he dies in a very different way. Um, it kind of turns into uh, Moby Dick a little bit, where they're like trying to harpoon him to, you know, just kill him instead of using all this fancy technology. Uh-huh. But while he's the fancy technology of spear and uh, barrel, barrel and uh, explosive tanks and guns. But when they're doing yeah. this, he the the shark hits the boat just like in the movie. Yeah, and it, the boat's starting to sink. And he's stabbing, you know, like, the, the guts of the shark to, you know, just get it to finally, like, bleed to death instead of attacking. But when the shark retreats back into the ocean and takes, you know, part of the deck with it, his foot gets caught in the rope. And he uh. gets caught around the shark. So as the shark sinks, he drowns Quint. Oh, okay. That is a way different yeah. so ending. Okay. Versus, you know, full-on being fed into the shark, which is horrific to watch. Yeah. I mean that that it is interesting because I'm really wondering how much different the book and the movie are from each other. Well, Hooper dies in the book. He dies in the book. He dies in the book. Yeah. How how does he die in the book? Uh from what I've heard, it's kind of like a free Willy moment, you know, where Willy jumps out of the water. Uh huh. But you know, Hooper's in the water and Bruce gets him. And they come out of the water, and he's in his mouth. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he's, like, laying flat in his mouth, so he's, like, fully, you know, laying down. <laughs> yeah, he's he's uh, planking inside of a shark's mouth. Yeah, so he basically gets chomped in half, and Brody survives. Okay. Man, this... The book sounds way darker than the movie. It was, and, I mean, that's how the, the shark dies from his injuries of, you know, being... Just kind of drifts off. Being stabbed and being, you know, hit with arrows and harpoons or whatever they use. Mm -hmm. And that was a reason why Peter Benchley was fired from the movie. Because he wanted that ending and Spielberg's like, no, I I need, you know, a a grandiose ending because these people have been terrorized by the shark. I want them to feel elated that the shark has been destroyed. And he was like, and Spielberg was like, I'm going to blow up the shark. And Peter Benchley's like, are you kidding? You're going to blow up a shark? You realize how ridiculous that sounds? And Spielberg's like, bro, I'm in the business of selling movie tickets. I'm not in the business of realism. 
Yeah, and it's just like being in that theater with people that hadn't seen the movie. People were cheering when the shark blew up. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, that's, I think that's a thing. Spielberg, for uh, any gripes people have about Spielberg, he's schmaltzy, or uh, he's not really an auteur, he's just an audience pleaser, or or any other thing people want to, like, give him gripes about, he does know how to please an audience. He does know, like... He knows to, how to make an audience cry. Yeah, he yeah he's like, he might be using cheap tricks to get people to cheer or cry, but he, he knows his craft. He, he knows, like, the beat of the movie that should hit and how it should hit. Yeah, so that's why it's like, yeah, I think that was the best thing to do. He, he needed to take the reins and be like, you know what, we need an explosive ending so we feel like we finally got him. Mm. And it's not just, you know, oh, he bled to death and that's it. It's like, no, he's been having this reign of terror and, oh, he got stabbed to death and just went to the bottom of the ocean. Okay, the end. It's that, so anticlimactic. So yeah, that would have been a worse ending. I mean, Jaws is Jaws is weird because as I'm watching the movie, I'm thinking like, well, how, like, how did it go in the book? It's one of those things where I'm always thinking this is based on a book, but it sounds so different. It's almost like Spielberg said, "I'm going to use all the names and I'm going to use nothing else." He's like, this is a movie about a shark attack, and then I'm going to kind of forget the rest of the plot. Yeah. And I really like, I mean, I'll probably read it. I'll get a, another copy to just give it a read through. Mm -hmm. But I really like what Spielberg gave us. Mm -hmm. um, I think I saw in an interview, Robert Shaw didn't like the book. And he, you know, rejected the, the offer. And his oh. wife, who was his manager, was like, no, you're going to take the job, and you're going to do this. You fucking drunk, take the money. <laughs> take take the money, and then he got on set and he was like, okay, you know, this is actually different from the book. Uh, did he win anything? Was he nominated? Robert Shaw? Yeah. He didn't win. Uh, it was all technical stuff. So uh, they won okay. for film editing, best score, and best sound design. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that all that all makes sense. I think the score in this is great. They go, da Dunna. Yeah, and I dunna, I dunna, saw in a, a documentary about dunna, the movie, uh, you know, he hears it for the, Spielberg hears it for the first time, and he's like, you know, really, John Williams, this is what you give me? And he's like, just put it with the movie and you'll see what I'm talking about. And it was like, <laughs> yeah, it works, because they did this with test audiences. I, I want to imagine John Williams was like, Spielberg, you're not paying me enough to give you a full orchestra. You're taking this, all right? Here. You're 105 days, you're 150 days, you know, in. You're going to take whatever the fuck I give you, Steven. Like, I want to imagine John Williams is just kind of a dick to, to Steven Spielberg, just like a little bit. No. I, boo. John Williams might end up into the animatronic head of a shark. No. Spielberg is on the prowl for more victims. No. <laughs> but uh, it was a thing where they released some of the film to test audiences with no music. Mm -hmm. And people weren't really reacting. It was just kind of like, okay, cool, you know, the shark's after a beach. All right, whatever. And then they were able to sync his score to it. And people were reacting. And that was kind of like the, the cue once you start hearing those two notes for your son to kind of tense up and, okay, something's about to happen. And I think it, you know, it works again with like Psycho, where you get the strings and you know something's about to happen. Someone's going to jump out of somewhere. 
It's just, it's getting your body ready to react to whatever's about to happen. Yeah, the movie's, again, the movie's taking so many notes from Hit, from the Hitchcock school. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, I'm really, so, I'm really happy when it's, it's Oscars, right? But it's just, it's such a, a weird movie because on its surface, it's just kind of a, it's a monster movie, right? Yeah. It's it's any other decade this would have come out, it would have been a pulpy, like like run of the mill, kind of schlocky horror flick. But because it came out when it did, and because of who was involved in it, it it became iconic. Yeah, because it was a weird in, movie. It was in the right place at the right time, mm-hmm. and it still holds. Um, I know you kind of have an issue with thinking that younger generations aren't going to appreciate the movie, like. We do. Well, I'm not even that that pretentious about it. It's just watching the movie with how it's paced and how it's um how the setup works and how it's way more interested in having dialogue than having action. I think it's just this is a movie of a different time, kind of thing. And I think if a newer audience watched it, they would they would feel the time this movie was made versus it having like this, um. You know, the hundred year breath that it will always work for a hundred years. Like Nosferatu. You can watch that movie now. It's still scary. Yeah. This, I think, it's not scary anymore. It's it's well made, but I'm not horrified. I'm not, you know, hiding behind my covers or anything. No, but I mean, it did actually scare people, you know, away from the water. It scared yeah. people away from the water when it came out. Uh, personal story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I must have been in middle school and my dad was running a a youth program and over the summer we would have like excursions and field trips and did your dad kill a shark? No, but with some of his hunting buddies. No, but I do have a story about a a shark encounter that I will tell you in this episode. Um, but we were going to go to the beach as one of the excursions and for whatever reason I missed one of the days there, but I was able to make the beach trip. So we get to the beach and, you know, I, I get out into the water. I'm the only one from our group in the water, uh-huh. me and my dad. And I'm like, well, what are they doing? Why are they just staying on the sand? And he's like, oh, um, yeah, that day that, you know, you weren't there. It's like, well, I wanted to get them excited for the beach. So I showed them Jaws and they were kind of horrified. And I'm like, so he's like, yeah, they're afraid to get in the water now. So he's like, so if you and I go in the water, just like the characters in the movie, they had to go into the water and be kind of. You know, the lambs bringing the other lambs to the, the slaughter. You're like, you know, maybe they'll see, you know, us playing in the water and that'll entice them. So it still worked. It, it got why, people scared. Why, why is, why does your dad sound like Homer Simpson? <sighs> I don't He's like, know. He's like, kids, let's just watch this cool movie. Ooh, The Exorcist. Oh, that must be a kid's movie. Yeah, so he terrified them with, you know, Jaws. Eventually they got in the water, uh, but there were some instances where people were like, Something touched my foot. That's a shark. And it's like, we're in shin deep water. You would see the shark. You would see a shark. You would see it if it was there. (laughs) But yeah, so it still works. I I stand corrected. Thank you. (laughs) All right. So uh, where where do you want to go on to next? Uh, We're we're almost an hour in. We're almost an hour in. Um, Well, we have met somebody that did work on this movie and was a big part of this movie. Yes, we did. Did we saw we met him at the Fox Fullerton uh, screening? Screening that I think we already mentioned that 
Um, and he was there. He was doing like a book signing about was it the making of Jaws or just the making of uh, Bruce the shark animatronic? That would be the making of Bruce. We met Joe Alvis, and I got a his book, and I got a storyboard piece signed by him. Yeah, that was really cool. It was kind of interesting to meet the guy. Yeah, because you can tell he's like he was a technical person. Mm-hmm. You know, I th- I think people ask him like, oh, what was it like? You know, filming the movie. How's the shot set up? And he was like, I built the shark. Yeah. You should be talking to Spielberg about why the shot looked like that. Yeah, he was like, you know, I was the one that created this shark, and any time it didn't work, I was the one crawling into the shark and piecing it together. There were so many, like, production stills they had there yeah. of just him, like, inside this shark with like, a, with, like, a socket wrench, like, tightening something. Yeah, that's why it was fascinating to see, you know, not only somebody that worked on the film, but somebody that created Bruce, and... There was three Bruce's made for the movie, all 250000 apiece. These were expensive sharks. Yeah, I mean, that makes <laughs> sense. They're trying to do, like, pretty advanced animatronics for seventy-five. Yeah. I mean, because I think people think, oh, animatronics, that's got to be, like, like, RC cars with some, some yeah, extra, like, bells and whistles. But, yeah, it's the gist. But, like, back then, these are, like... Like, a rector set almost dealios inside. There's these big metal frames. They probably weighed a shit ton. And there's, there's a, like, probably a, a, a motor kind of a car battery to make it, like, move weird ways. And there's probably a bunch of weird technical shit going on in the inside of them. Yeah, and then you factor in water, which is going to weigh this thing down even more. Because it's made out of foam rubber. Yeah, it's the same issue that Spielberg had with Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. where they had like the full-blown uh, T-Rex uh, animatronic, and because there was so much water, because it was raining in that sequence, it would stop working, and they'd have to stop and pat it dry and, you know, air dry it to get it to, you know, f- start functioning again. I mean, it's not, it doesn't need to be animatronics. Um, I watched uh, Lord of the Rings, and I watched some of the special features on it, and Peter Jackson was talking about yeah, the orcs who had to wear the the foam rubber, you know, mm-hmm. prosthetics, they when they were filming Helm's Deep, they would get soaked through and when they would switch out the the uh, stunt team, they would peel off these things and dry them out because they all were soaked all the way through yeah. and they absorbed all the water and each like each arm weighed like 50 pounds, each weighed like 80, each leg weighed like 80 pounds and they had yeah. to get all the water out so they can wear them the next day. And it's it's crazy because it's not just animatronics that break down, you know. It's a lot of that's just the foam. But for him, this was the first movie that was shot in the ocean. That can't be right. A feature film that was shot in the ocean, yeah. Because a lot of this, I mean, even for this movie, they wanted them to shoot in one of the tanks at the back lot at Universal uh-huh. or somewhere else. But this was like, no, we're actually going to shoot it on the sea. The worst mistake you could make as a filmmaker. Worst mistake, because it was not only, you know, dealing with water and weather, but it was also the boats that kept crossing into the scenes. And, you know, okay, well, we had it, but we got to go back and reshoot it again, because... They're supposed to be isolated in the vast nothingness of the Pacific, and then there's, you know, Jimmy and and his buddy crossing through on their fishing boat. Or they don't need to see that town is right behind us and, well, why aren't they swimming to, you know, the shore or going to shore? It's like, no, you need to believe that they're out in the middle of nowhere with nothing in sight, just the shark. Yeah. Also, the other thing is, like, filming on the ocean, like the ocean ocean, Mm -hmm. 
is is that is why this movie balloon like tripled its production time. Yeah. Because if you drop like okay, you're filming and somebody drops a lens overboard, that shit's gone. It is gone. Well, there was an issue with uh they built two orcas, one to sink and one that would be the the hero of the film. Yeah, yeah, the hero boat. But at one point they had so many people on the orca and so much equipment, the boat started to sink. And, you know, they had the actors on the boat. So people are thinking, we got to get the actors to safety. And I think, what was it? It was like the technical team. They're like, screw the actors. We need to get the cameras and all the equipment off of here because if we destroy that, that's it. Yeah, so they're rushing yeah, to get the, the cameras. The whole day is gone. The whole production might be gone if the cameras, you know, are not yeah, working. Yeah, they can't recover the cameras. That's true. I know some of the film for the movie got submerged in ocean water. And There's some of this film that is that is resting snugly on the on no, the ocean depths. No, no, it was. Um, I think it was the cinematographer. He was like, "Hey, you know, because we work with saline when we're you know produ- uh, when we're uh, developing the film, it'll wash off the ocean water." So they sent it back to New York in a bucket of ocean water. Uh huh. And they developed it, and it came out perfect. Now yes. that, was, that was just like one of those like hail mary moments. Well, yeah, that that's one of those things. He probably heard that. He probably heard that from an from another cinematographer who heard that from like a salty vet who had been in like filming for like forty years. Like, yeah, you know, I just shoved my shit into salt water. Worked fine back in my day. Film used to explode if you looked at it too long. It was probably one of those things. It was probably a fucking wives' tale. He really wanted to work, but it worked. I guess. But the, I, I, that's like the thing about Jaws. It's just kind of the the but. Production, the behind the scenes of this movie is almost as interesting, if not more, than the actual film. Because yeah. this movie, by all rights, should have just been Waterworld. Because yeah. Waterworld did the same thing. They filmed on open ocean. They filmed out in the middle of like the Gulf or mm-hmm. like I think it was off the coast of Hawaii or something. Because obviously Kevin Costner had in his contract a Hawaiian villa he was able to stay at. And, uh, you just got beef with Costner. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the cost, but th- that movie they sunk yeah. an entire set on Waterworld. Yeah, that the big atoll is like this giant like mm-hmm. metal thing, and it's floating out in the middle of the ocean. They sent that out in the ocean. They were filming it, and that fucker sunk to the bottom of the bottom of the, the Pacific. Yeah, and that's how Spielberg felt with this movie that it was just going to be a massive failure because of all the technical problems that they had, and just dealing with a living and breathing ocean. Yeah. Trying to, you know, harness that when it's like, no, you can't control the water. And and Spielberg even thought, like, when he saw the final cut of the movie, he thought, oh, no, we're boned. Because, you know, we look at it and, oh, the shark's not in the movie. Oh, man, we got, oh, it's it's so, it's so, like, tension. We you mm-hmm. never know where it is. It's all in the music. Spielberg saw it and he's like, the shark's not in the fucking movie. Yeah. We spent so much on this shark. That was going to be the star. We were going to have it come up and do all this stuff. And it's not in the movie. People are going to be like, I came to see a shark movie. There's no shark. My career is over. I am Steven Spielberg. Yeah. I mean, it's just like Bride of Frankenstein, where she only has six minutes in the film. Mm. Bruce is only in the film for four minutes. Total. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you only really see the shark at the end of the movie. Everything else is POV. Yeah, and I think it works. Yeah. I mean, apart from what he wanted where we get to see the shark, you know, 
right at the beginning of the movie and it would be there as often as it could. I think it worked not having him there as often because it lets your imagination run wild thinking, my God, this shark is going to be massive. And then you see the animatronic and you're like, holy crap, that is a big shark. Yeah. That's 25 feet long. I would be absolutely terrified. All three tons of him. Size of a pickup truck. Yep. But, but yeah. I mean, this movie is amazing. Um, an amazing uh, occurrence is happening right now. At the time of this filming, it is June 30th. In the film, it's June 29th when Alex Kittner is killed by, by Bruce. Yeah. Uh, so there was a news report from the Daily Mail that over in Cape Cod, they're having this surgence of great white sharks that are migrating to their coast. And I, it was just this thing that they're keeping an eye on, but it's just like a huge school of them are just headed over there. So I was like, that's kind of funny. I'm like, it's the 29th, same as the movie. It's 4th of July weekend, just like the movie. And I'm like, let me see how close Cape Cod and Martha's Vineyard are. They're like next to each other. It's a two hour drive. Yeah. And I was just like, what are the odds? I was just like, that's kind of creepy. That's kind of sus. <laughs> Bruce is pissed off. His grandchildren, his great-grandchildren are pissed off. They're like, we're coming back 4th of July weekend. No, that is Jaws 2, The Revenge, which we'll be talking about next week. We won't. No, no. So, do you want to hear about my shark encounter? Yes, yes. We'll make this the, the final bit before we close out and tell everyone what's happening. Okay. What was your shark encounter here on Shark Week? So... With my dad, because most of these stories happen. It's one of these uh, don't-tell-mom stories. Oh, we, I have many of those. Yes. So, uh, at my dad's house, there's a dock behind his house. He lives next to the beach, so we'd do a lot of fishing on the weekends that I'd be over there. And uh, one weekend, we're out there fishing. I reel something big, and I caught, like, I thought it was a baby shark. I was doing some research. It kind of looked like a leopard shark. They're, they're little ones. Yeah, yeah, they're about the size of like a house cat or a dog. Yeah, but this one didn't have spots, so I'm not really sure what kind of shark it was. But it was about, you know, from my hand to my elbow. So it was... Which, for people who are listening to this, because you can only listen to this, that's about, you know, the size of a cat, house cat or a dog. Yeah, so decent size. And I tell my dad, I am not unhooking that because no way. You're not touching a shark. And uh, so he unhooks it for me and he's like, oh, well, before I you know, toss it back in, you want to touch it? And I'm thinking, well, hell yeah, when do you ever get to touch a shark? Uh-huh. So yeah, I touch it, you know, I'm really, you know, apprehensive and scared. And I'm like, oh, cool, it feels weird. But in my like 14, 13 year old brain, I start to pet this thing like it's a dog or a cat. So I'm just like kind of like you know, petting it from head back, not thinking anything, just like, oh, cool, I'm petting a shark. Well, no, he reacted. He turned his head and he bit my thumb. So my thumb is fully submerged in his mouth. Oh, is that why you don't have a thumb? No, that I thought I mentioned that on the first date. Sorry. Uh, I, I always wondered why it was like made of wood and it didn't bend. It was old timey. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, my thumb was in the mouth and my dad's like, oh, shit. So he's, you know, trying to pry the jaws off of me. And, you know, I, I get my thumb out. The scar is gone now. I mean, or the cut, you know, from it. Didn't leave a scar. And then he's like, all right, well, now that that happened, let me just throw him in the ocean. Oh, after that, I would have <laughs> cut the shark. I would have mounted it on the wall. No. You, you conquered nature that day. I... Not only did you catch a shark, it attacked you, and you beat it in Mortal Kombat. And I survived. Exactly. And he was just like, yeah, well, you know, just put some salt water on that. Sure, let me just 
making me really feel that wound. Oh, yeah. That flesh wound. Ah, oh, come on. Kid Belt's character. But yes, I've been bitten by a shark. Fancy. Yeah. Shark attacks happen, you know, at least one or two a year. Who would have thought? <laughs> on a dock? Is, isn't that the statistic, though? It's like shark attacks are dummy rare. There was a shark attack uh, here in California. I think it was last week or earlier this week. Someone, uh, I think he was either surfing or paddleboarding. He got attacked by a shark, and there was enough people that were on the beach they noticed, and they were able to swim out to him and kind of like attack the shark, like hit him, uh-huh. and able to pull him to safety. Uh, I am pretty sure he survived, but he did get some substantial in- injuries. Yeah. So it does happen. No, no, I understand it happens, but in this movie. Bruce has a body count. Bruce yeah. is a serial killer. In real life, I think it's like, what? Like, there's not uh, there's not more than ten shark attacks no, a no, year, right? I mean, there's probably more than that, but it's a thing where they don't, you know, keep coming back for more. It's like, once it happens, they take off. <laughs> it, it's You don't have many sharks up there with the Polaroids and, like, burning cigarette holes in the eyes. You know, sharks like, I'm coming for you, Jimmy. Uh, and, you know, bites and exactly. people. But yeah. I like Jaws. I love Jaws. I'm wearing my Jaws socks today. Ooh, ooh, fancy. I try, I try. But yeah, so, uh, final verdict on Jaws. I, well, uh, just, uh, scale of one to ten. Two thumbs up, one thumb being bitten. Mm, uh, okay, I'll, I'll give it a, a, a two non-shark bitten thumbs up on this one. Uh, big fan. Thought it was really fun. Yeah. Definitely enjoyed it. Hadn't seen it in a long time and really, really enjoyed the rewatch. Definitely give it a watch if you haven't seen it. And uh, next week, we're moving on to Blockbuster number two in the 1970s. Yeah, and this is a movie that I've never seen before. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, we're going to be watching mm-hmm. The Omen. Oh, oh, the Richard Donner Omen? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, with uh, Gregory Peck. With Mr. Addix Finch, yes. Yes. Uh, I've seen the movie once a very long time ago. I think it was when, like, the remake came out, and then people were like, oh, here's the Omen box set with all mm-hmm. the Omen movies. Yeah. And I think I bought it because it was, like, 20 bucks. I I think it was, like, people were like, no, like, only, like, the first Omen movie's worth watching, and the other, like, six are, like, kind of whatever. But I bought it, so I was like, oh, cool, well, I when, watched it When once. there's a deal, it's like, oh, yeah, you could get the entire franchise for, like, 15 bucks. Okay. I mean, for the Friday the 13th movies, I, I always take that deal. Because that's, like, fucking 13 movies. With The Omen, it was, like, six. So it's, like, eh, whatever. But yeah. I'm excited. I, I don't think I've... St- I remember nothing of this movie. I know Damien. I know the 666 thing. I know, like, this movie's uh, production was cursed. Like, people fucking died. Yeah, I'm wondering if this is, um... If this is featured on Shudder in that, uh, it, that docuseries. Oh, it, it is. It is? It okay. is featured on, on that uh, Shudder docuseries. It's like cursed sets or cursed uh, films. Cursed films, yeah. I yeah. might have to give that a watch after I watch the movie. Because, yeah, I, I only know about Damien and the, the Broken Window. There's, there's um, what is it? Uh, uh, there are friends over at the Film History, the History of Film podcast. Yeah. They do a whole episode on cursed films and they talk about the omen in one of them. So g- hmm. give that a listen to. I will. I think I'm going to have to do my homework, and uh, we'll see how next week goes, because I'm a little scared to watch this. Oh, don't worry. 
the chanting in that is actually from satanic cultists. Oh, geez. It's okay. It's going to be something. But if you wanted to listen to that, where can they go? Well, if you want to listen to us on a different platform than you currently are, you can find us on Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Yeah, and go to our YouTube channel, The Film Vault. That's The Film Vault on YouTube. Uh, watch some of our episodes. Give us a like, uh, comment, subscribe. Do what you do. And if you want to follow us on social media where we post stories, uh, trivia, I might be posting some of my Jaws collectibles, because why not? Mm. They're pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at the Film Club Podcast. And with that, see you next week at the Film Club. Peace. Peace.